If you're new here, my name is Blaine, and I don't always sound like this, so forgive the the voice. I I really lost it on Friday night, um, yelling at some kids. We were doing some amazing stuff, and it just got rowdy. And um, so, yeah, my voice is gone, so we'll deal with that. But it's going to be good tonight. Look, um, I have gotten so much from this series already. We're only only three weeks in. This is our third series in, uh, our third session in Made for More, and um, yeah, look, we're, we're on a journey, you know, um, Tommy shared last week and Anna shared the week before that, and uh, we'll get into uh, recapping just a little bit of what they have done as much as it's relevant to where we're going tonight. But first of all, I want to take us way back to the year 1858. The reason I'm taking you back there is because uh, I teach history and I'm a bit of a history nerd, um, but also... There is a little bit of a story that I want to tell you right here at the start, and uh, we'll just see where it takes us. So, in 1858, there was a Sunday school teacher. Back then, Sunday school was like a pretty ordinary thing, even for adults. Also, fun fact, back in 1858, a guy in the US first patented the eraser on the top of a pencil, and, uh, and Queen Victoria from England and the US President James Buchanan FaceTimed each other over the first transatlantic telegraph. I don't know, the more you know. Um, Okay, so here we go. Here's the story. 1858, a Sunday school teacher by the name of Mr. Kimball. Hopefully he's up there on the screen. He's a decent-looking chap. He leads a young man in his class to Jesus. This guy works as a shoe salesman in, uh, in the U.S. This guy, his name is Dwight Moody. Dwight Moody goes on and becomes a really powerful evangelist, somebody who goes around and spreads the good news of the kingdom of God in the world. And uh, from a message that Dwight Moody preaches, a guy by the name of Fred Meyer, who's from England, sorry, in England, while Moody is there, he's preaching this message, a guy named Fred Meyer hears it and then takes it back to the States and starts a movement on a university campus. This university campus then gets a hold of another guy by the name of Chapman, who gets a hold of another guy named Billy Sunday, who used to play baseball at the time. This is crazy. And then they get a hold of another guy called Mordecai Ham. They bring them all together. They have a powerful revival meeting, so powerful that actually they, a group of people who are there want to start another one. So they go to a different place and start another one. And who happens to show up at that revival meeting but a guy by the name of Billy Graham. Billy Graham goes on to become one of the most widely spoken, widely popularized, widely invited evangelists of all time, possibly giving the gospel message to more people than any one person in the history of the world. Peaking, like, I mean, there's a picture up here, hopefully, of one of his biggest rallies, 1970-something, in Korea. Like, over a million people heard him speak there. It was unbelievable. The reason that I'm telling you this story is that when we're thinking about this whole idea of made for more, what it boils down to in our lives, in our hearts, is disciple making. Like Jesus was not kidding when he said, go into all the world and make disciples. Teach them to obey everything I've told you. Baptize them. You know, the early disciples took this call really, really seriously. And, uh, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, the early church took off, like in a way that we probably have not seen in our own lifetime. So when we're thinking about this idea of made for more, and we're in this book, we're in this letter that Paul wrote to his young protege, Timothy, we've got to be thinking to ourselves, God, what are you calling me into here? What is the movement that you are calling me to be a part of? And um, so 
Second Timothy, this book that we've been looking at for the last two weeks already, and we've still got a few more weeks of it to go, it's a challenge. It's a challenge from the Apostle Paul to his protege, Timothy, saying, step into it. Are you in or are you out? You're going to face hardship. You're going to face struggle. But are you in? And um, so Anna, she spoke on the first week about fanning into flame the spiritual gifts that God has given to us. Tommy, last week, he talked about unashamed courage in the face of uh, opposition, in the face of challenge, that really the call to be made for more, it is a challenge. We like to think of it as like a bit of an inspirational, the, your best years are ahead of you type thing, but that's actually an active decision. It's an active thing that you've got to step into and make choices towards. So tonight, uh, what I've called the message is enduring devotion, and that's where we're going to be headed uh, tonight. So the passage that we're going to be looking at, and if you have a Bible with you, you can whip that out. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. It'll probably be on your phones as well. But there are Bibles in the pews here, and if you don't have one, feel free to grab one and take it with you. Take it home because it's our free gift to you. But we're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy, and we're going to be going to chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 1. So if you want to turn there, I'm going to grab a drink. Okay, whoa, that drink was good. Okay, so here's how it starts. It says, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Jesus Christ. You have heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get caught up in the affairs of, of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes can't win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Paul is all over the shot here. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. Paul out is basically what he's saying. So, with that said, the Lord will help you understand all these things. We're going to pray, and then we're going to dig into this passage a bit and see what we can pull from it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your presence here with us. We thank you that we can gather here, that we can learn to be the disciples that you have called us to be. We thank you for that calling, for that invitation to be a part of your kingdom that's open to every single person. We thank you for the grace found in Jesus Christ. And I pray tonight that you would... Uh, work through the words that are here on the page, that you would work through the, uh, the words that come out of my mouth and that, um, that your name will be glorified and we'll be challenged here to fully step into what you have for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we can say these things. Amen. Alrighty, so uh, 2 Timothy. So for a bit of context, um, as if you've been tracking with us over the last two weeks, 2 Timothy is like Paul's last ditch effort to his protege saying, look, I am about to die. Uh, I am imprisoned and chances are I'm probably not going to make it out of this one, but I want you to be able to carry the torch. I want to be able to hand it over to you, the disciple-making work. And, uh, and it's really fascinating to me that the first thing that Paul says to Timothy in this second chapter is be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus because Paul knows something. Paul knows that what is going to happen in Timothy's life is going to have hardship and sacrifice built into it, and he knows that any kind of faithfulness and devotion to Jesus is going to come at a cost. The same is still true today. 
Like if we're honest and if we're actually going to put legs on what we believe and walk out the truth that we hold on to as Christians, opposition's kind of come. I'm not doing that to be like a doomsday speaker or anything, but it's true. Like if we were to visibly walk it out, there is going to be pushback on it. So Paul uses three different characters in this little passage to kind of illustrate some different things. And we're going to see what we can pull out of this stuff. So we've got three. We've got the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. Soldier, athlete, and farmer. Different characters, different worlds, but we're going to, um, we're going to see what Paul is trying to communicate to Timothy through this. Okay, so first up, we have the soldier. Um, so why is Paul bringing up a soldier? So Paul is essentially using a soldier. He's, he's trying to ask Timothy this question. Who's got your attention? Like, where is it at? Who's got your attention? Hopefully, there's a picture of a soldier up there on the screen, a painting. Josephus, um, he was a Jewish historian, so he's like my man from the time when Jesus was around. Um, he writes a description of what a Roman soldier was. You've got a physical kind of representation of what that may have looked like. Here's their behavior, right? This is what Josephus says. He says, each soldier every day throws all his energy into his drill, like his practice, right? As though he were in action. Hence, that perfect ease with which they sustain the shock of battle. No confusion breaks their customary formation. No panic paralyzes. No fatigue exhausts them. All their camp duties are performed with the same discipline, the same regard for security, the procuring of wood, food supplies, water is required. Each party has its allotted task. Nothing is done without a word of command. The same precise, sorry, the same precision is maintained on the battlefield. So Paul is kind of drawing from this image. Chances are, if Paul's writing this from a, from a prison cell, he's probably like chilling up against the wall and he's probably just looking at the soldier at the time going, yeah, so be like a soldier. And, uh, and this is what he's thinking of. And he's asking Timothy, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get caught up. They don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life for they cannot please for then if they are getting caught up they're getting distracted, they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. So let's talk about attention. Where is your attention at? Where is your attention at? Not, hopefully, I'm not asking you to answer that question as in right now, here in the moment, where's your attention at? Because that'd be embarrassing if it's not uh, on what I'm talking about. But where is your attention at in life? Like, what do you turn your head towards? What do you make decisions about? Where do your feet go? For, for many of us, distraction takes many, many, many forms. Um, the internet, just in general, just the internet is just, a, just an ocean of distraction just waiting. Uh, it's, uh, it's amazing, but it can be a distraction. But I guess on a deeper level, like for us as humans, where does our attention gravitate towards? Where do we kind of find our, find our focus, find our fuel? Um, for many of us, it can actually be like whoever is the loudest voice in the room, that could be a person, um, but that could also be something that's going on inside as well. The loudest voice can sometimes be uh, fear of other people, fear of rejection. It could be shame for stuff that we've done in our past. It could be uh, lies. It could be past decisions that we've made. The loudest voice 
in our lives can sometimes be where our attention gravitates towards. And what Paul is trying to reach out to Timothy and tell him is, where is your attention at? Like, what, what do you focus on? What does your head flick towards as soon as it comes up? And he's trying to encourage Timothy to say, it's got to be the person on your attention has to be on the person who is your commanding officer. And that, classic Sunday school answer, is Jesus, right? And if, again, taking it right back to the start, Jesus wasn't kidding when he said, go and make disciples, teach them, baptize them. That's what he's challenging Timothy on. You've got to keep your focus on who your commanding officer is. You know, there was, there's, um, I'm going to say there's probably about four different characteristics that Paul is really trying to tease out in using this image of, of a soldier. He's trying to tease out soldiers are willing to make sacrifices, right? You've got to be willing to sacrifice to lay down your own life for the success of the cause, for the success of the battle. That's just par for course. It's part of the job. Uh, you've got to be willing to obey, right? So sacrifice, obedience. You've got to be willing to listen well, respond quickly. Loyalty, where's your loyalty lie? You know, a soldier's going to be loyal to their unit, he's going to be loyal to their, their people, the country that he comes from, that he's representing, to his commanding officer, and he's devoted. So there's like four big, big characteristics that are all on their own, like really quite intimidating and quite challenging to us where we are today in our cultural moment, right? Um, and Paul, elsewhere in the Bible, he talks about this idea that the Christian life is a battle, not in the sense of anything militant. Do you notice any time in the Bible where Jesus is like walking around and he's teaching and anyone starts bringing up like a military kind of uh, parallel saying, oh, Jesus is going to, you know, is going to free us like literally from these Romans. We're going to be able to kick their butt and it's going to be great. Anytime stuff starts getting militant, Jesus shuts it down. We're not fighting against people here. Paul says we are fighting not against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. So the question I guess that I'm asking you guys is what commands your attention. Where is your attention? What commands your attention? Okay, so that's one character. That's the soldier, right? Then he changes gears. So after he said, soldiers don't get tied up in, a, in civilian life, they can't please the officer who enlisted them, he switches gears really quickly and says, and athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. Athletes. Hmm. So athletes were probably uh, quite famous as they still are today. Uh, back in Greek and Roman times. So, again, Timothy would have had an image in his mind that he's drawing from. Uh, hopefully, the image up there is something more modern than what most athletes would have looked like back then. I tried to find a picture, but most of them were buck naked, so, um, so I just went with something a bit more modern. Um, so, Paul says, Paul is using this image of an athlete to ask Timothy this next question. So, his first question is, where is your attention? Who commands your attention? Second question he's asking is, do you understand the rules? Do you understand the rules, Timothy, of what you're involved in? Do you understand the rules? Athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. Okay, picture this. I'm going to stand up because this illustration doesn't work if I don't. Um, so picture this. 
you are inspired by seeing some amazing athletes on TV and you hear that there are Olympic tryouts in, uh, at the local university and you're like, you know what? I'm gonna do it, this is my moment. So you get up off the couch, you dust the Doritos off and you jump in your, what are they calling it, active wear and you jump in the car, you go down to the track, you're there just in time, you check in, you're like, hey, I'm ready to go to the Olympics, or at least I wanna try and get in. They're like, sweet. They're looking at you and they're like, all right, we'll see how this goes. So you check in, you're ready to do the 400 meters, which is no joke, uh, and you're there, you're on the starting line, you're in the third heat, so you've seen a few others do it, and you're like, I got this idea. You know what, this is, this is gonna be great. Nobody else has the technique that I'm about to unleash on the world. So you get down, you're like, you're in your blocks, and they're like, ready, set, the gun goes. They all just take off around the corner like idiots. You're like, just go straight across the field and uh, get to the finish line, slap that tape, ta-da. Like, I'm pretty sure that's a world record, Olympic record at least, I am going to the Olympics. And of course, that would never work. Like, why? because it's not following the rules. If you, want to, if you want to compete as a professional, you've got to be able to follow the rules. So when Paul is using this imagery of an athlete running around a track, he's saying, if you're wanting to compete and you want to get the prize, you're going to have to follow the rules. So, okay, now the question comes, well, well I mean, what rules are we talking about? In Christian culture, it's very easy to go straight to like, ooh, Ten Commandments, like there's some rules, I can, I could, I could probably do that. Um, so I want to talk about comfort for a bit. I'm going to get back to the rules thing, but we've got to talk about comfort. Because ultimately, the only reason that you would decide to uh, take a shortcut and just try and get over the finish line is because it's way too uncomfortable to get your butt out of bed every morning and train. I mean, there's a huge difference between professionals and amateurs. You know, professionals, they're gonna show up daily. Amateurs kind of, you know, show up when it suits them or when, it, when they can fit it in, you know, weekly or something like that. And they really don't care about what happens in between. Okay, Christians, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, do we just show up once a week? Or are we actually putting in work daily? Are we showing up every, every day? Are we present to what God is doing, like in each moment of the day? There's actually um, this really cool quote that I found, um, and it basically just says, uh, where is it here? If I find it, I'll come back to it. Oh, there it is. Yeah, so there's this really cool quote that I found that basically just said, um, does God have your attention just in your schedule or also in the moment? Because so easily for us, I know for me, like, you know, I've been on this journey of trying to, um, trying to take time out of my day each day to spend with God, you know, in prayer and reading God's word and that kind of thing. But you know what? If you're doing that, awesome. Like, that is so good. Like, we should all be trying to, trying to move towards making that habit. Same time though, uh, it can be very easy to just schedule your time with God. God's got that time on your schedule and then the rest of your day is kind of left to your own devices, right? And it's kind of the furthest thing from mind. That was just a bit of an aside. So 
do we understand the rules? If we're running around in our comfort zone, if we're running around in our comfort zone in amateur land and we're just wanting to cross the finish line, that's kind of like if you are a believer and you're showing up to church, but really you're just hanging out till the end of your life where you can go to heaven. Paul is using the image of an athlete to go, that is basically like running across the field and just slapping the finish tape and checking out. Paul is saying, if you are in this, if you are in this for real, then you need to run according to the rules. And, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable. And at the end of the day, we've got to realize that as human beings, comfort is ultimately, if we're not aware of it, comfort is going to be the thing that dictates our choices, our actions, our decisions, whether it's, you know, uh, it'll definitely trump any of your beliefs, like whether it's climate change or rating Area 51 or Jesus. Honestly, just your ability to be comfortable, especially in our culture, that's going to be your number one enemy that you're going to be coming up against every single day. So, there's more than just the Ten Commandments, like that's a great starting place in the Bible. But if we really truly understood the rules of living a life of purpose in the kingdom of God and showed up every day to practice this, got around others that are practicing it, being able to train off each other, and we were able to fully embody these rules, there is no limit to what God could do through people like that. I do want to call out really quickly that when we start talking about rules and Christianity, it can get very easy to start going, oh, okay, so I just have to check a bunch of boxes, do the right things, and God will love me. Mm -mm. That's not what Paul is saying here at all. Paul is saying there's a difference between living your life with purpose and choosing fully partake in the kingdom of God, live by his rules to achieve that victor's crown, the people that run across the field and slap the finish line, I mean, you know, we're all saved by grace. There's nothing that we can do to impress God. But if we want to really fully step into what God has for us in the kingdom, if we believe that we are made for more, then we've got to be able to run by these rules. And these are the rules that Jesus set down as what is the kingdom of God. He says a bunch of stuff, and I just encourage you, you know, you know spend some time in the Gospels, in, in Matthew, just for a start, and look at what are some of these things. Jesus says some crazy stuff, like if you hate somebody else, that's as good as murdering them, so don't hate people. If you lust after someone, that's as good as committing adultery, so don't lust after people. Like there's some really challenging stuff in here that if we were honest and actually let God convict us of some of this stuff, we would be able to be so much more effective in his kingdom. God doesn't see us any different. He sent his son to die on the cross for us. But it's about the role that we have to play in his kingdom. All right, so um, there's, there's just this one passage that I want to kind of make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Honestly, Jesus was all about disturbing the comfortable and comforting the disturbed. It's, it's amazing. Um, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will ever enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, we cast out demons and we performed many miracles. But I reply, I never knew you. Go away from me, you who break God's laws. That's like, ugh. I've been around Christianity for a while and that still kind of weirds me out a little bit. I don't know, maybe it doesn't make you feel terribly uncomfortable, but it does to me. (laughs) Okay, so we've covered soldier, where is your attention? Athlete, do you understand the rules? Last one, farmer. Paul is asking by using the image of a farmer, do you really live it? And will you live it for the long haul? So here's what he says. He says, and hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. What he's speaking about here is two things, integrity and patience. It's a really simple, like, one-liner, throwaway line, and hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruits of their labor. First of all, he's saying, you've got you to gotta, you gotta walk the talk. Like, you've got to, what's the, what's the other saying? Um, you've got to get a taste of your own medicine. You can't take other people where you haven't been yourself. So if we are serious about disciple-making, learning more about Jesus and being able to pass it on, that was literally the first thing that Paul started talking about to Timothy. He's saying, make sure that you're passing your teaching on to others, you're making disciples. Then uh, we've got to make sure that we're going there ourselves, that we're not teaching from a place that we haven't been in before ourselves. Okay, then the other thing he's talking about is patience. Folks, the kingdom of God, it takes time. And when you're walking alongside people, I think the longer you do it, you realize that God's timing is not our timing. Whether we're talking about somebody else's spiritual formation that we want to see saved in the kingdom of Jesus, or whether we're talking about our own spiritual life, guys, we can't microwave our own spiritual formation. We can't compress what God wants to do in our lives and make it suit our own schedule. We've got to be willing to show up and just let God do things in his own timing. Yeah, so farmers, you know, they, they, they get out, they're up early, they're, uh, they're planting, they're scattering seed, they're watering it, they're protecting it from, you know, dust and bugs and birds and whatever, and, then, and they're just going to sit there and they're going to wait patiently for God to bring the rain and to make that thing grow. Do we know how to do that? Do we know how to wait and protect something and let God make it grow in our lives or in the life of the person that we're walking alongside? Hey, I'm going to invite the band up. I'm almost done here. Um, so feel free to come up, band. And um, what, I, what I'm wanting to challenge you about uh, are these three questions, right? These are the questions that, um, that Paul has given to Timothy. I'm going to read this, uh, the passage that we started with once again and just kind of let it, let it simmer, let it sink in. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You've heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Endure suffering with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes... They cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I am saying, and the Lord will help you understand these things. 
Right as we are starting to finish up here, I want to draw your attention back to the very first line that he gives Timothy. He says, be strong through the grace of Christ Jesus. Because if you haven't figured it out by now, keeping our attention on our commanding officer, understanding the rules of the game that we're in, and being full of integrity, full of patience, living it and sticking with it for the long haul, that is beyond us. I don't know about you, but I personally cannot do that. I can't pull that off as much as I try, which is where we've got to come back. And Paul is asking Timothy, come back and be strong in the grace, in the grace that has been given to you through Jesus. No matter who you are and where you're at tonight, um, we've got to realize that pursuing God, it's nothing that we can take hold of because of how good we are. It's by grace that we get saved in the first place. But once you are saved, it can be really tempting to just check out of this world altogether. It can be tempting to just focus on your relationship with God and just you know, hope and pray for the day that you get to heaven. But that's not what Jesus asked us to do either. This idea of grace is going to be the fuel, it's going to be the anchor that keeps you going in this journey. The grace of Jesus Christ is going to be the thing that allows you to push aside the loudest voice that has been demanding your attention all this time. It's going to allow you to push aside the distractions. It's going to allow you to get into the game each day, not just show up as an amateur. It's going to allow you to be patient and invest in people. Consistent pursuit of only a relationship with God without a consistent pursuit of others leads to just elitist religion. I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm pretty sure we've got enough of that going around. But on the, on the flip side, you know, consistent pursuit of others without a consistent pursuit of God leads to burnout. We don't have the anchor within us. We're not holding on to that grace. Consistent pursuit of both leads to a life of an abundant harvest. That's the life that Paul is calling Timothy to be a part of. And that's what my challenge is for me. That's what my challenge is for you here today. Be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You want to be really effective in this life? You want to receive the victor's crown? You want to experience a bountiful harvest? It is going to be expensive. As we're going to be getting back into worship here, I'm going to ask us all to just close our eyes and take a moment to consider these three questions as I pray. Would you pray with me? Father, we're here tonight not because of anything good that we've ever done or not because of, um, yeah, not because of, uh, of, of anything else other than the grace of Jesus. And in this place tonight, God, as we are about to go into a time of, of worshipping you and giving you what you're worth, would you help us? Would your Holy Spirit dig within each of us and ask us who commands our attention? 
what are the things in our life that are distracting us from the eternal purpose that you have given to us? What's in our lives that's stopping us from understanding, from really understanding the rules of this thing that we're in? God, I pray you would challenge us. Are we in this for the long haul? pray you would open up opportunities for conversation, um, for prayer, for your Holy Spirit to move in us in these next few moments that we have. Would we be able to lift your name up? Would we seek prayer, seek guidance, seek connection where we need it? And would we be encouraged by the words of, of Paul as he's signing off? his protege Timothy saying I have fought the good fight I have finished the race I have kept the faith God may we be able to get to heaven one day be able to plant our flag in the ground and say those things I've fought the good fight I've finished the race I've kept the faith and it's only through the grace of Jesus that we do these things and we can say any of this in his name that we say.